Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What's up, everyone? Welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night that I am very excited about because I'm going to celebrate a movie that I have seen four times now with the director, Emma Seligman. Congratulations on Bottoms. Thank you so much. Your movie is addictive. And I have I just have a feeling it's going to go on to have that kind of teen high school comedy classic vibe. And I'm so excited for a lot of young moviegoers out there to have something that I didn't have growing up. So thank you for that. Oh my God, of course, that's that's why I made it, that that was the goal. <laughs> so first order of business on Collider Ladies Night is we always play a game called Dicey Questions. So I have a dice tower behind me and I have eight random questions and whatever I roll for you, that is where we start at least. Okay. First roll thank up. You. We're kicking this off with a number seven. All right, number seven is uh, it's bottoms themed. So this one's called High School Club. If you could go back to high school and start the club of your choice, what would your club be and why would you choose that? I think I would start a fight club if I could, like in my wildest dreams. I think I had a lot of aggression and not aggression, I had a lot of angst that I would have loved to have taken out. But um, I don't know if I would have been allowed to, but uh, that's what I would do, I think. That's what the movies are for, to live out <laughs> dreams that just can't apply in real life. <laughs> All right. I've got another roll for you. We're moving over to a number two. Oh, this one's also kind of bottoms, uh, bottoms themed. So this one's coming of age films. And like I said, I get the feeling that many young people are going to wind up becoming obsessed with bottoms to the point that it becomes a high school comedy classic. So what was the version of that for you growing up? The coming of age film that maybe you saw yourself in and or were just totally obsessed with? There were so, so many. Um, I think that... Um, I think that, you know, uh, I think Mean Girls was a pivotal one as a comedy comedy, um, you know, that I remember seeing so distinctly in theaters with my friends and 
I was only like nine, but I remember feeling like that makes sense in my brain. And then also Juno. I really love Juno. What a good pairing right there. Thank you. (laughs) Do you vividly remember the first time you saw Regina George get hit by a bus? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I remember sitting beside my mom and her like, (gasps) like gasping so loud. Um, Yeah, I do remember that. I just didn't think that I was watching that type of movie until that happened. And I'm like, oh, you are just going for it right now. And I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I look back and that movie got away with so much in terms of style. Like the the sort of like, I don't know, wild jungle sort of scenes were at the mall when they're at the mall. And then and then also in school when like everyone's like a cat or whatever. You know what I mean? And they're making weird sounds. There was some like wild, absurd stuff in that movie for sure. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it all works exceptionally well. All right. I have your last roll here. We are wrapping this up with a number eight. Number eight is a fun one. This is zombie apocalypse. So let's say there is a zombie outbreak. You could pick two actors from bottoms to team up with. Who do you choose that would give you the best chance of surviving? Honestly, it sounds basic, but I would, I'm, I would pick um Io and Rachel just because together they're they're so I mean they're individually so smart but Rachel has like really good fighter instincts like she's just dropped into the moment she doesn't overthink um she like is incredibly um organized um and I don't know I feel like I was just they're both anxious people and not too anxious where like they're like, you know what I mean? They're, they, they do stuff with their anxiety. They're so smart with their anxiety, if that makes sense. Like they work well under high pressure situations. Um, but maybe that's just because I know the two of them so well. So I know they can do that. Maybe everyone else could do that as well. But I'm, I'm not good in um, panicked zones. Like I sort of just go like flat, like I fight, fight, flight, or what is it? Fight, flight, or there's a third one. Fight, or just fight, flight, or... I have absolutely stay. no idea. It's like literally just to stay in one spot and be like, everything's fine when it's not. That's me. So I think Io and Rachel are good for that. I feel like Io might appreciate this because when I posed that question to her back in uh, back in June, she's just like, she's done for. Like she had no faith in her <laughs> to, to survive. Well, that's for sure. But if I had two people to help, I think I would pick them. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Solid team there. All right. So we have hit the meat of our interview now and every single ladies night begins here. What is the movie you watched, the personal experience you had, you name it, that first made you say to yourself, I absolutely have to be a filmmaker? My God. Um, I mean, I wanted to be a film critic for the longest time. So I'm trying to think if there was one where I was like, I could go make a thing like this. Um, I don't know. I mean, I remember seeing E.T. really distinctly as a kid. Um, it had like a re-release in theaters. Um, and I just remember so distinctly enjoying it just as much as the adults around me. And I remember like feeling like I want to create something where everyone can enjoy it. Cause I never got to watch kids stuff when I was a kid. Cause my parents like were over it and didn't want to sit and watch cartoons or anything. So I had to watch all the adult stuff, which I enjoyed, but it was rare to see something that made everyone so excited and feel, feel like set, you know, full of wonder. So that. That, I mean, it's cheesy, but it, it stands the test of time for me. I want to go back to the film critic thing. So if you wanted to be a film critic first, do you remember maybe the first time you made something as a director that had you rethink the way that you were critiquing films? 
That's such a good question. I, I, I had sort of retired my film critic days by the time I was making films. Um, like I made a short to get into university. And I think by that point I had stopped writing reviews. Um, but I, I think that I definitely feel like making films has made me watch movies more critically and with way more appreciation for choices. Like even for movies I don't enjoy, I sit back and I'm just like, bravo. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, you all did it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't think, I don't think it informs the sort of the way I wrote reviews. Um, I don't think I understood the craft that yet or that well yet in order to do that. I love that idea. Cause I had the opposite path. I, I started, I started not the opposite totally, but I started critiquing films. Then I felt funny about critiquing something that I had no understanding of. So I went to film mm. school, learned how movies were made. But then at that point, I realized like I should leave the hard stuff to other people and I'll go back to critiquing and celebrating. Them. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, there's such a beautiful art to film criticism because you're not, I don't know, meant to understand how everything works because audience members aren't meant to understand that you know but but it can help for sure and and, and inform your opinion but it's um it's its own sort of beautiful art i I think talking and and writing about movies i love that way of putting it i always say it is an art not a math so when people focus on scores (laughs) gets me all crazy Um, yeah speaking about your experience in college i know you studied at nyu can you give me an example of something you learned in that program that you still find yourself referring back to and using often today when you make your films? But then on the other hand, can you tell me something that like all the film schooling in the world never would have prepared you for when you started to make your own uh, feature films? Such, such, such good questions. Um, I think that I learned, um, I remember like, you know, uh, just the, the sort of basics of storytelling. I think one professor at one point said like for, for just general storytelling sort of technique, like put your character in a tree and throw rocks at them. Like that's it. And I think I just like learned the importance of like goals and obstacles, you know, and, um, and then, you know, in a more detailed way that, that like came about through understanding where obstacles can come about through characters or through the, 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 the character themselves, like the protagonist or through the environment that you're in physically. Um, so that, I, that I've taken with me forever when I'm really struggling with a scene or whatever. I'm just like, what, is, what does this character want? Like what's going on and like what's in the way? Like that's all I need to sort of portray here, even if it's a comedy or, you know, whatever. And then I don't think anything can prepare you really for imposter syndrome. I mean, other than just sort of being on set as much as you can in film school and working on your friends' projects, which I didn't do enough of. Like, I feel like I was so useless in every department, Um, uh, but I tried. Um, I think you can't, nothing can prepare you for sort of like the, the mental gymnastics you have to do with yourself in order to be like, I'm the boss, like I'm here, I can do this, you know? Um, so yes. Oh, I have a perfect follow-up to that. I do like asking this question every so often. Do you remember the very first time when you felt the power of your own voice while making a feature film where maybe it was a situation where someone said to you, you know, you shouldn't do that, but you stuck to your guns and it wound up changing the film for the better? The first time, um, 
I'm trying to think because I've had so much support that I, I, especially on Shiva Baby, where it was much smaller, like I didn't have to fight for too much in terms of being like, no, I'm putting my foot down. We need this. Um, everyone was so on the same page. Um, I mean, for, hmm, I'm trying to think if there was a distinct moment. I, I think, I, I don't know, this definitely didn't feel like the first time, but the first very clear sort of like, battle or you know something was um uh fighting for my dp for my my cinematographer maria rushi to be on bottoms um that felt very clearly um like something i need and something i knew i was going to have to fight for just because of her lack of experience with this kind of budget um and and then you know like i was right so <laughs> so that that worked out um for sure I feel like the time you needed to think of an answer to that is probably reflective of the fact that you seem to surround yourself with the best possible collaborators because that winds yeah. up eliminating those issues. And that'll give me a good segue to talking about Rachel. I know you two met at NYU, I believe, when you were casting uh, Shiva Baby the Short. When you first met her, what was it about her that signaled to you that this isn't just a good person to cast in my short, but this could be a good long-term collaborator for me as well? I think her level of ambition and hard work, like so many people, I think in art school are like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to write a thing. I want to star in this. And she like had goals and followed through on them. And I could just see that so quickly. And just her energy, like she wasn't there to waste time. Like she was not there to play. You know what I mean? Like if she and you, you know, if we agreed to meet up on this day and come with this much work done, it better be done, you know, like with other people, we'd be like, yeah, we'll meet up once a week or whatever. And, or, you know, we'll, or we'll work on something together. And then you just always like, it, it petered off. I think I could just tell she like, you know, was the real deal. And, and, and when she said she was going to, if she said she was going to work on something, she, she was going to do it. So. I Io gave me a very similar vibe in her answer where she was just like, I saw her at a party and she was just saying like, I'm going to do this stuff in the industry. And she said it with such authority that she believed that she could achieve these wild dreams. And sure enough, yes. look at all three of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. <laughs> All right, leaning into your specific filmmaking techniques uh, now, Shiva Baby is so good. So it kind of feels funny asking this question, but is there a particular part of the process or, or a specific filmmaking technique maybe that you found challenging to execute on Shiva Baby, but because of that experience, it wound up being a breeze to do it on Bottoms? Oh, um, 
something that was hard to do that then was a breeze on bottoms? Um, that's such a good question. Uh, um, I think there's so much I could say. Um, I think uh, we did this thing where it sounds so technical and boring, but we had um, uh, like a Lego set um, where we mapped out all our blocking for for Shiva Baby. Um, and it was so hard to schedule the actors. Not that I did that on bottoms. I wasn't literally scheduling the actors, but it was so hard to work with our AD and our producers and our cinematographer in scheduling. Well, we have that actor this day, so we can't look into that room because we don't have this actor. So can we give that line to this person? Like it helped me understand scheduling and how to make use of the people and the time that you have and where you have them. Um, and not just made it so that it wasn't a breeze necessarily, but like being as detail oriented when it came to blocking and prep and scheduling on bottoms, um, really was, it just made it so much easier because we had to do that so intensely on Shiva Baby because our schedule was so, so short. Oh, that's a good example, especially with how large the, the bottoms ensemble is in comparison to it. I imagine it was absolutely vital to be able to do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I want to get into the green light process now. And it excites me because I asked a very similar question at the Barbie junket earlier uh, this summer because it really excites me when I see bold films getting made in a way that feels very specific to the filmmaker's voice and they have the support behind them in order to make those tell those stories their way. So what is the key to getting the green light on a script like this? How do you go about pitching to people like, you know, uh, production company executives, financiers, all those folks in order to make them understand your vision and also give you the trust that you could bring that vision to life in a way that they see fit too in the end. I it sounds so cheesy, but I really think it's finding people who finding your people who get the movie and want to make the same movie. I think that you know, even on a bigger level like bottoms like there were so many people who didn't get it and didn't want it politely, you know, and the people we ended up with were the only ones who were like I see what this is. And I think you're awesome. And I think Rachel's awesome. And I get it. And I like want to do this movie. You know, I, on Shiva Baby, there was a moment where we almost, you know, we had a financing offer from a slightly bigger production company, but they wanted like full control and like, you know, final cut and all this stuff that just didn't feel right for the kind of movie and the size of the movie that we were making. And I think that, Sometimes it's not just about taking the money and running. It's about making sure you have the right collaborators because it is so going to affect every single moment of the, you know, the process, especially when it's like high intensity and there's deadlines and, you know, you need to wrap by a certain amount of time or you need to finish the edit. Um, so I think that, you know, we got so lucky and yet also it was just meant to be that we worked with, um, our producers at Brownstone, um, Allison Small and, and, and Elizabeth Banks and Max Handelman, and then with Orion, with this incredible studio of young women run by like a young queer woman, you know, who got the movie. Um, so I think that's what's what's key is like finding the people who get it and want to support it because you don't want to work with anyone else anyway. You know what I mean? 
Oh, without a doubt. I mean, thinking about the idea of passing on an opportunity to maybe make a make a movie with a bigger company to do it your way, I think is the most important thing in the world because it could be a very scary decision to make. But ultimately, like, does all the money in the world even matter if you're not having a good experience making the movie and staying true to your original vision? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what what does it matter? It's worth the wait to, to find the right fit because you're dating them too. You know what I mean? Like you're about to enter this marriage with them. So it's good that everyone's on the same page, you know, and likes each other. Oh, it's so, so true. It's one of the most valuable things to have in a company. So now I want to get into your cast specifically, and I'll I'll go back to, to Rachel and also Io. So clearly they've had a somewhat similar journey. And when I see them on screen together, they are just so incredibly in sync. But what is something unique to each of their approaches to the work? Maybe even something that demands something different from you as an actor's director. Um, I think, um, Io is so, um, focused, you know, on, on understanding her character and what her character is doing and having it make sense, like in the scene. I know that sounds so silly, um, but, uh, you know, like, or so simple, but like really grounding herself because she's such a good writer in understanding how the scene is working and what Josie wants. Um, and I think something unique to Io and her comedic style in general, not just like in acting, is like her sense of physical humor and her ability to always be doing some version of slapstick. Like just the way she works with props and her physicality is so larger than life. Um, so that feels very specific to Io. And I think also she, as her own writer and as her own comedian, I think I had to learn as an actress director to like step back and give her space and not micromanage versus with Rachel, especially because we wrote this together. We're so much more intimately um, sort of entwined in, in this understanding the scenes and understanding the performances and the tone and what we need um, versus with Iowa was kind of like, you know, I had to learn to just kind of like trust and, and, and let go with Rachel she's so um unique in that she's so hilarious but she doesn't just start improving like all over the place she like workshops things to make sure that they're working before she takes direction so well um and i think that on bottoms like i think because she wrote it i think i had to learn to sort of also not micromanage her because she was so she knew the script so well because she wrote it with me obviously so I think I also had to learn in different ways. Yeah, with her, how to step back and be like, right, she wrote this script. Like she doesn't know something. I don't know something that she doesn't. You know what I mean? Other than like stand here because this is the way we're framing the shot or whatever. So you've got you've got the two of them at the heart of the movie, like sheer forces right there. What is it like finding other actors to fill out the ensemble around them who can go toe to toe with them? What do you look for during the audition process that can signal to you like this person won't just nail their own performance, but they can play with these two? I think actors who are super grounded in their roles and who can play the comedy very straight, you know, for lack of a better word, like who who understand that the funniest version of the scene is being the most truthful and believing their character saying the most ridiculous things as opposed to trying to ham it up and play the jokes as jokes. I think that works especially well for working with Rachel and Io because in order to do improv, I mean, I don't, I'm not the best improviser, but like in order to do it, you have to be just totally dropped into the scene and, and believe what's going on and believe the circumstances. It's, it's not just about sort of like riffing forever. 
Um, so I think with everyone we ended up with, especially in the fight club, like Havana, Ruby and Kaya, like it was really just about finding people who were like, yeah, I believe my character and what she's saying. And therefore I'll be able to respond to these other sort of wild characters around me because I'm like, I know what's going on here. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I feel like some of what you just said might lean into this question a little bit, but was there any particular moment in the film where it was toughest to to calibrate how far you could push it in terms of, you know, PJ and Josie lying and making some not so nice decisions, but while all, all, always making sure that you never severed the connection to the audience where they could do those things and go big, but you always had the audience rooting for them regardless? Um, yeah, that's such a good question. Ah. Uh... No, I mean, I think that in terms of having the audience root for these characters, it's more in the nuance of, of their performances. And I think that we definitely like tried as we sort of went along to make sure that we felt for each of them so that therefore their choices as ridiculous and as shallow and as selfish as they are, um, I don't know, we, we bought them as humans and therefore we understood their choices. If we could feel for them as people in, in throughout the rest of the movie and understanding sort of like where they were at in their friendship and, and with how they're feeling about their popularity or whatever it is. Um, so there was never a moment of like, oh, this is going too far because I think the whole setup of the movie is that they're assholes, you know, and that they're, they're trying to do something incredibly sleazy and gross. Um, so you have to be able to be on board for that, you know. I've been thinking about that for months ever since I first saw the movie. I'm like, how how can they do this, but also keep me fully engaged and wanting the best for them? And I th I think that is the answer. It's just the truthful nature of that that is at the core of the performance lets you swing big in other respects, but always keeps everything grounded. Totally, I think I think that is the trick if you can manage it. Yeah, for sure. It's it is a really difficult trick to pull off. There's so many films that don't stick that landing quite as well as you do here. And I think Thank it makes you. all the difference. I mean it. So I want to get into the editing process a little because I've, I've heard you say that once you started the edit process on the film, you saw a first cut and then you and your editor kind of needed to deconstruct that together. So, so given that it was making me wonder, what would you say is the biggest difference between cut one and now what everyone is going to see in the finished film? Oh, wow. Um, I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, the cut that we have is still very much like kind of Hannah's first cut in terms of the structure. I think that I care so deeply about tracking how the characters are feeling in each scene. And I think when we were deconstructing it, it got to a point where like Hannah was like, is this becoming a drama? Because I was just like wanting to make sure we were capturing looks and capturing everyone sort of like looking at each other and, and understanding how they were feeling. There's so many characters. And so I think that maybe there's a little bit more humanity than in the first sort of thing that we watched together. Um, and also it's like so much shorter because I, I personally prefer a string out, you know, kind of first cut where it includes every, not every single joke, but every scene, every, you know, bit of gold. I like seeing all of it and then we can cut down from there. So there's just so much good stuff on the cutting room floor because we didn't want the movie to be two and a half hours, you know. 
I feel terrible asking this when the cut is so damn good as it is, but I'll always want more of this scenario in these characters. If you had the opportunity to release a director's cut and put back one scene of your choice, what scene would you pick and why? Um, you know, uh, I've talked about it before. There, the movie used to start at this weird camp um, and I wouldn't wear this horny, this camp for horny girls. It wasn't conversion therapy, but it was just like, it was like a military kind of style camp for girls who were like too horny. And it started with, with, um, uh, Josie and PJ masturbating in their bunks. Um, I, I don't know if I would bring it back because we tried so hard to make it work that they were at this camp and not juvie. And that's sort of the lie throughout the movie. Um, but, um, I would love to release it as a short film or something, um, you know, I want to give it to, to audiences. I just don't think it, it necessarily works for our movie. We tried really, really hard to make it work. I get it. It's an important part of the process to be able to refine and cut down. That'll that'll lead me to another burning question I have, because one of the things that fascinates me about making a movie the most is when you have to go through the test screening process. And, you know, specifically when a filmmaker needs to figure out when to take and apply a note versus not and trusting their gut. So can you maybe mm. give an example of both a note you got, you applied, it made the film stronger, but a time where you said to yourself, like, nope, this is what's best for my vision and I have to stick to it. Totally. Um, I think that um, I think that the test screenings were incredibly helpful in figuring out the beginning of the movie, which included that that camp situation. But even without the camp, like people, it really helped me understand the audience needed a little bit more help understanding the tone and the rules of this ridiculous world. And I think that you know, as a director, like it's it's your job to sort of hold the audience's hand and be like, this is the movie you're going to watch. This is the world that this is going to be. And so it was really helpful to track sort of how the audience was feeling like, oh, okay, by this scene, I think I understood what was going on in the movie or I understood the kind of movie I was watching. And so that felt very helpful to just sort of feel how they were feeling. And then when it came to other things, you know, like, uh, I'm trying to think of the stuff that I was like, oh, maybe like they're saying we should cut this out or whatever. I mean, people were sort of all over the place and like, I don't know, I don't like that or I don't like this. Like there wasn't one universal like, we you can't include this joke, you know what I mean? Or like, oh my God, the fighting is too much. It's too bloody. But everyone sort of like um, had one thing or another that they were like, nah, I didn't love this. Um, I think that like, you know, it kind of goes back to sort of what you were talking about earlier about caring about these characters. There was a lot of like, you know, PJ is specifically, um, but PJ and Josie are unlikable and I don't like them, you know? And I think that I was so naive and shocked by uh, that, that people still say that. Like, I think that it, I almost thought it's a joke at this point that people are like, these female characters make sort of questionable decisions and therefore I don't like them. And even if you're like, you're not supposed to like them, you know, like you, you kind of are enough to like want to follow the movie, but like, you're not supposed to like think they're good people. Um, and I didn't feel any pressure to like rewrite the movie to make them like nice because that would totally change what the movie was. But I definitely felt pressure to sort of try to like humanize them to a point. I don't know. We, we found a sweet spot and I do think it helped for sure. Like in terms of what you were asking earlier, I do think it's important to care somewhat about the, you know these characters, um, uh, but you know 
yeah, I remember being like, whoa, like there, there are some people still really not cool with or don't enjoy a movie with female characters that are doing, you know, things that are human and shitty and relatable. There really is nothing more human than seeing a flawed character. And if it's not a flawed character, it is a boring character that I don't care to watch. So I can't can't compute that reaction to this whatsoever. This is my favorite question to end on. It's, I guess it's a hard, or it seems to be a hard question. And I don't like that it's a hard question. I don't think anyone in this industry says good job to themselves nearly enough. So can you give me an example of something you accomplished on bottoms that you know you'll be able to look back on and say to yourself, like, damn, I'm proud of what I did there. Um, That's, uh, that's, that's I'm, I'm glad to have this opportunity. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, I'm really proud of shooting the last scene the way that we did without giving any spoilers. I think particularly like the last shot of the movie, I remember it feeling really important to me to flex a little and, and feel like it was sort of out of this world and, you know, very dramatic. And, and, and I remember there was pressure. There's always pressure budget wise to be like, can't you just shoot, you know, all of them being like, this is it, this is the end, or woo, or whatever it is, and uh, bada boom, bada bing, and I was like, no, um, and so I'm proud of myself for fighting for that, because I do think that it, it made it the, the ending of the movie special. Again, I won't spoil anything, but I will say when you watch a shot like that, you could you could feel the need to rewatch the movie over and over and look at a different character throughout that shot, and I like that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I cannot congratulate you enough on this movie. Clearly, it has bought, has brought quite a bit of joy to my life since, oh. I guess, March. And I have a feeling it's going to do the same for a lot of people out there. So, Emma, congratulations on Thank bottoms, you so everything much. you've accomplished. And I can't wait for more in the future. Thank you. That means a lot. I really appreciate this.